cliffcentral.com. It's time to check in with Sean. Uh, let's go to Sean Sanders in Cape Town. He is the co-founder of Revix, and he joins us this morning. Hey, Sean, how are you doing, man? Uh, there we go. And here we go. There we go. There we go. How are you doing, Claire? Good, man. The office is looking very, very sexy. That's looking nice. Yeah. We try to win the Zoom game, right? I've yeah. said that a few times. It's, <laughs> we try to look fancy in the background. And you can kind of see a glimmer of little Table Mountain there. Yeah. I uh, through the, the window. Background. I thought Looks that was good. a fake background. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's exactly what you're going for. <laughs> it looks too good to but be true. But it's good to be on this morning. Well, listen. Yeah, well, I mean, we got all the writing on the wall, right? I mean, that's what you meant to have when you're, yeah. you're fintech and all the rest. And we for actually sure. got somebody on the show not too long ago. It must have been about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. They said we didn't have a fancy enough background. So I took that to heart. Huh. And I've worked hard since then. I love it. Um, I also love that we're talking to you on a morning where Bitcoin is $51,342. And just the other day, people were panicking. There were some people who were panic selling. We were going, oh, no, this is terrible for crypto. You and I were talking about the Chinese and how they've tried to shut down cryptocurrencies in China. Well, it seems that crypto is having a very good week. It is having a very good week. Uh, Bitcoin's up, what is it, 23% over the last seven days. And this is really nice. all coming from, I mean, this is on the back of that Chinese ban, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's meant to be really bad news. The entire Chinese market is essentially not in crypto anymore. Um, but, yeah, I guess the, the bigger news this week, and there's never a dull day in crypto, uh, but the bigger news is that Bank of America strategists, uh, there's two very well-known guys there, they came out and they, they advise, I mean, Bank of America's the third biggest bank in the U.S. That means yes. colossal, right? Right. Bigger than all the South African banks combined times by a factor of 10. Um, but they came out to say that this digital asset, i.e. the crypto universe, is too big to ignore. So this was sort of just another stamp of approval from a big Wall Street uh, bank. And that's led to a lot of money into the space. And I mean, you're talking sort of a lot of the hedge funds and family offices that were sitting on the sidelines going, hmm, is this Bitcoin thing real? Is it, no. uh, is it really going mainstream? They're now coming in. And I mean, if you saw, uh, it's, it's called on exchange flows. So the amount of money that moves onto exchanges yes. um, out of fiat currency, like dollars and pounds and all the rest. I mean, that was at a record two days ago. So that was a sort of big move into the space, and that's sort of what's driving the prices now. So now you're getting all the uh, all the skeptics, they're sort of hiding away, and you've got all the Bitcoin proponents and all the rest, they're coming out now, and you're hearing calls of $100,000 by the end of the year. I personally, and, you know, again, I, I always find that when you're looking at future prices, it's a bit of a, a roll of the dice. Mm. But if you're looking out towards the end of the year, I mean, if you're looking at sort of getting back to our all-time high, which is $65,000, that's 27% from today. I mean, that would be a phenomenal return over the next three months or so. Um, $100,000, it's very probable if, and there has to be essentially two big developments that occur. Yeah. That Bitcoin ETF we've been speaking about for the last three years, that needs to happen. Um, they actually need to be able to have an investment product being this ETF, an exchange-traded fund, which is essentially just something that would provide access to a retail investor, so to an everyday person, that they could go then to the equivalent of, let's say, their easy equities or their stockbroking accounts and be able yes. to actually buy cryptocurrencies. Right. Um, and that would be a very very big sort of step forward in the space. And then another big development would sort of be a uh, some clarity really around the way that they're going to tax cryptocurrencies in the US. 
mm. because at the moment there's a big question mark around that. And I think those two developments, should they favor crypto? I think you could quite easily see $100,000. And again, the, the space doesn't move linearly, right? I mean, when you're looking at moves here, this is not a constant 1% move up or down per day. No. Like you have days like yesterday, as an example, where Bitcoin went up 7%. And as we've spoken about many times on the show, there's days where it goes down 10%. So if you look at sort of that 80-20 principle, uh, you know, the, 80% of returns are produced from 20% of the days. That's sort of the approach that you look at crypto, but you're probably looking at like a 95-5, where there's maybe five days that apply, that account for 95% of the yearly returns. And it's sort of that old adage as well to say the time in the market is the most important thing because you can't really time or you, you actually just can't time uh, when that's going to happen. So I've got a couple of questions here because you know our audience are, are not idiots. They ask the hard questions. Shibu. Inu, what what is Shibu Inu or Shiba Inu? What is what is that all about? Apparently, uh, that has gone up by a couple of hundred percent. Yeah. What is that? Oh gosh, Shiba Inu is very similar to Doge Dogecoin. I remember we spoke about that on the on the show not too long ago. Yeah. These are meme based cryptocurrencies. So just actually taking a step back. So to all the listeners that haven't uh, listened to some of the older podcasts where we spoke about Dogecoin. So back in 2000, and if I'm not mistaken, it was 2017. If I stand to be corrected, it could have been 2018. Uh, Dogecoin was created. And the idea around Doge was really to say, listen, you can just print money. You can just print a cryptocurrency. And it was sort of a, a, a dig at Bitcoin. It was also a dig at the traditional monetary system that we have today, right? Because mm-hmm. the Fed goes, listen, we need more money in society. They click the printing machine. There's more money that comes out. Obviously, that's an analogy, but that's a theoretically what happens. So they created this cryptocurrency. They, being a very small group of, of guys, created this cryptocurrency. And they just made it as a joke, right? They literally had this dog uh, sort of, uh, what's I forget the breed of the dog, yeah. but that's the that's the the logo of this cryptocurrency. They called it Doge. A lot of people call it Doggy Coin, mm-hmm. and it just became this massive meme, like the biggest meme in the crypto space. <laughs> and then you had Shibu Inu, which gosh, like got introduced. I don't know earlier this year it seemed, and that's also just blown up. But these are completely meme-based cryptocurrencies. They don't function. They don't really do anything, right? Like if I wanted to send you some of this, it, it works, but it's like kind of. I don't know. It's like me sending you an email. Like, is there really value attached to that email? I don't know. It depends on what's in that email. Shiba Inu. It surged 55% 19 hours ago, and then it zoomed to 770%. I mean, that's just incredible. And it's bullshit, really, because you're not, it's not any kind of technology or it's not backing any kind of usefulness. It's just a, it's a fad. It's a, it's a meme. Yeah, I mean, this is what's going on in the crypto space right now. I don't know if any of your listeners have got involved with the NFT space, yeah. the non-fungible token space. Yes. But essentially, you can buy digital representations of real-world objects, or alternatively, and most of the time, it's actually just digital artworks. So you'll have uh, some graphic designer put together a series of artworks, and sometimes they're super cool, uh, sometimes they're complete jokes. But you've had so many people that have made a lot of money recently. And I mean, hell, like everyone at the Revix team right now is going out and buying like, these ridiculous... Uh, NFTs. I'm sorry, I, I'm not necessarily a big fan of that sort of like NFTs. You see them go for insane amounts of money, and I just don't understand how the prices get attached to them. Mm. It's the market, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's a free market. If you can sell something and somebody else buys it, willing buyer, willing seller. But I think, look, we definitely in this massive, I mean, equivalent to this 2017 ICO boom, you know, where everyone was running around going, buy this weird cryptocurrency, buy that one. You're seeing that in the NFT space. But there are some really interesting projects happening in the background. Dolce & Gabbana came out uh, last Friday. 
and they essentially have got an NFT collection that you can buy now attached to real world objects. Uh, when you go to Louis Vuitton and you land up buying some more expensive handbags and all the rest, they actually have an NFT chip embedded in them. Um, mm. What's quite cool uh, is recently, and I just decided to do this as a bit of you know fun, um, I invested in a Rolex um, with my sister and mom. And it was just a collector's Rolex, secondhand. So I was like, okay, right, let me create an NFT. So what, essentially what we did is we just created this digital token and attached to this digital token was the purchase date and the identification number that comes with the Rolex. Yeah. Uh, you can take a photo of when the purchase occurred. And essentially that's the digital certificate of ownership. And what's really interesting about that is if you think about in South Africa, let's say, Gareth, how do you own something? Like you can go, okay, right, well, I own my home. I can go to a land registrar or whoever it may be. And I could say, listen, you know, tell me that I own this. You can get some sort of a proof. But for pretty much everything else, whether it's your phone, whether it's your laptop, kind of proving ownership is difficult, right? Like the fact that you bought it. And I mean, it's this sort of opportunity that NFTs can actually uh, sort of solve, right? Or this problem that they can solve because you can have digital ownership of whatever you actually own. And it can say, well, listen, you're the owner of this um, from, and this is the date that the transaction occurred where you purchased it and all the rest. So anyway, that's a bit, I guess. That means that other people can have ownership of something you own too. If, if they can prove that, right? So remember when you are buying that, there should be a transfer from somebody else that owned it to you. And now that occurs on the blockchain, right? So that'll mean that there is a record that exists somewhere that somebody could search. Um, you can currently go to things like block explorers. And I understand that this is not all getting written in the crypto world, but you can go to these things called block explorers, which are sort of like Google for blockchains and you can search up a particular transaction. So in that sense, you can verify whether or not this has actually occurred. And if somebody else has copied your NFT uh, or they've copied that ownership certificate, that doesn't really stand if you can, because you're the owner ultimately of that token. And so what about if you create like an image of something, like you take a photo of an artwork and then you, you make that the product? So that's, you can do that. Yeah, you definitely, definitely can do that. That's one of the beauties with NFT is it sort of looks, or it takes the art market and it says, okay, you may be the, the sole owner of this, but it doesn't mean you're the only one that views that art. Um, and that's the thing. It's sort of like the shared view ownership. Like I can go right now and, you know, people had the most expensive NFT collection in history. Um, I stand to be corrected, but I think the amount that the NFT collection sold for was about $31 million. Might even mean more than that. Um, but this, that was a 5,000 different digital artworks wow. that were sold online. I can go and download absolutely any one of those and view them or, you know, have the entire collection on my wall. There's only one owner though. Only one person can actually sell that entire collection. And that's really where the space gets quite interesting. And so it's gotten quite interesting for me in my world of sport is that LeBron James bought his rookie card and, and we know how big the sports cards are in America. And LeBron bought his own uh, rookie card, I believe, for a million dollars, like on the day it was, uh, it was done. So, and it's really, really interesting. I had fun. Well, that, yeah, I mean, I mean, that, that was, yeah, that would have been my question to Sean is like, um, in, in that world, I know when I'm going to a fair, I'm buying a card from somebody. So mm. like, does LeBron buy it from the NBA because they do hold all the rights for players or who would you buy it from? Yeah. It would depend on who's the NFT issuer. So just like, you know, you would have some sort of cryptocurrency development team that would launch these tokens into the market. There would be some sort of an issuer for that NFT and they, they would do some promotional work. There's generally terms attached to the work that they do as well. All right. And um, something which was fascinating. Listen, I'm sorry. Yeah, one last thing. I know we're running out of time. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. I'll be one, one second. Yeah. So what's quite interesting is that there was NFT top. Shop. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Top Shop and Top Shots. 
I'm not going to go into the Top Shop thing because we don't have time. But Top Shots was essentially collections. So we're talking about baseball cards that you can collect. Yes. But instead of collecting a card, you collect a moment. So it could be the this slam dunk that happens at the end of a game or this like incredible pass or whatever that may be. And only two or three or five people can actually own each of these moments. When they get replayed again on ESPN or you know any of the, the channels, you're able to take some of the royalties from that. And that's sort of where the space is going, which is like mind blowing because it's not something we thought about a year or two ago, but that's now the future of crypto. So on that note, Phenomenal. I can then say that the space is getting a lot bigger and it's going to be awesome. the future, as we said before as well, is going to be weird. It's already pretty weird. Well, I mean, I want to sell the NFT of the day I dunked on my ex. <laughs> oh, well, okay, you, you know, Gilly. <laughs> this is why this is why we never run out of things to talk to Sean about, and we we do get to chat to you almost every week. And and I've never had a morning where we've uh, gone. All right, well, we've pretty much spoken about everything. Thanks, Sean. Cheers. Bye bye. It's 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 constantly evolving, developing, and it's interesting for everybody to get involved in. And you don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to put all of your life savings into into crypto. But you need to have a little bit of a diversified portfolio, and you need to do that by going over to Revix.com, sign up for free, verify your ID, add funds, however much you want. Select the bundle of your choice and get involved. Don't be one of those people who gets left behind. Thank you, Sean. Nice to see you, dude. Great, guys. Thanks so much. Eh? Awesome. Have awesome, a good day. Awesome. Cheers.